Here at Just Baseball, we have teamed up with BetMGM for the 2023 MLB season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JUSTBASEBALL, and you will get up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Step number one, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Step number two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Step number three, you will receive up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in Washington, D.C., Mississippi, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. Call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,000 first bet offer today. Start your week with us on the Just Baseball Show. Today is Monday, April 24th. Jack McMullen, Peter Apple. We're walking you through what's surprising us right now in Major League Baseball. So, you know, it could be a team, whether they're particularly good or bad. It could be a player, particularly good or bad. It could be a trend overall in baseball. Uh, This is going to be a fun one, man. A lot of positive that I want to throw out. Also some negative. That I got to pile on one team because, of course, it's the Oakland A's, naturally. Um, yeah. But, Peter, like, usually we spend, I don't know, five-ish minutes talking about non-baseball stuff. And I don't pick anything as basic as the weather, but I'm picking something as basic as the weather now. What's the weather been like in New York? Because it is ravaging my immune system here in Indy. Yeah, the problem is in New York, at least, it's 70 degrees one day, 45 and raining the other. And we've seen that across baseball, right? Like on a Friday, it's 70, it's sunny, balls are flying all over the ballpark. Then the next day, five or six ballparks have temperatures below 50 degrees. It's just been terrible. And props to us for making it through it. I don't know if people can tell on YouTube, my eye is a little bit puffy. And it takes a lot of strength to hop on the mic and talk some baseball. So props to us. You're a warrior. I'm starting to think that I might just be a fragile little shit because I don't know. Like, I feel like I always feel like this, especially in the springtime. But I mean, it was I think it was 83 degrees in Indianapolis on Thursday. That was either Wednesday or Thursday. It was 83. I was walking. I was sweating my ass off. And then I'm driving to a wedding yesterday on Saturday and I'm driving through snow flurries. And I'm like, what are we doing here? And I wake up on Sunday morning and I say, wow, I feel like hot ass. 
And I'm like, why did I not take care of my body appropriately? No, mother nature is screwing me. So this is episode 444 of the just baseball show. Correct. I I don't know. That sounds really lucky. That's also a shout out Jay-Z, the king of all kings. Shout out Jay-Z. I think maybe from episode zero to a hundred, you bring that up about the weather and how it affects you. And I would always defend you, you know, shit happens, but you're a tough guy. Episode a hundred to 300, you keep bringing it up. And I keep thinking to myself, well, maybe he is a little soft, but I'm still going to defend him on the mic. No, I think now at this point, with you bringing it up once a month, you are a fragile piece of shit. Like, and, I'm just a yeah, bitch. Yeah, I mean, at this point, you have to look in the mirror. Because, yeah. you know, shame, fool me once, shame on me. Yeah. Fool me twice, shame on you. Fool me 444 times, the proof is in the pudding. Um, all right, man, let, let's jump in. We've got five surprises each. I figure we just go back and forth here. Um, I've really got four positive, one negative here. Do you have any negative? I have one negative and it's about your team. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Like I I've got negatives about that as well. So I'll, I'll be happy to pile on and, and keep on punching the body. Um, do we want to get the negatives out of the way or do we want to just like hide it in the middle? Let's end it with negatives to that's put people on a sour note into their idea. Monday. That's a crazy idea. Let's salvage with a positive. Let's do negative at, at four. You in? Okay. I'm in. All right. First positive for me is the home run leader in Major League Baseball at this point. Max Muncy's bounce back for the L.A. Dodgers has far surpassed my expectations. I was not expecting Muncy to replicate what he did last year. He had a buck 96 with like a 330 OBP. He was walking a lot, but it was, I want to say like a 715 OPS last year for Muncy slash 196, 329, 384. So far this year. 254, 419, 701. So the batting average up about 60 points. The OBP up about 90 points right now, small sample. But the slugging nearly doubled. 11 of his 18 hits so far have been home runs. Already, so like that's impressive. But already eight home runs that he's hit have left the bat at 106 miles an hour or harder. So eight of his 11 home runs to this point have been crushed, 106 plus. He hit 21 home runs last year. How many do you think left his bat at 106 or harder? Not many. I'm going to guess like five, three. Yeah. He's got eight home runs already on April 23rd at time of recording that have left the bat at 106 plus. Three of his 21 last year left the bat at 106 plus. He's killing the ball. He's the major league leader in home runs. He's second in slugging behind Brandon Marsh. Holy shit. He's second in OPS behind Brandon Marsh. Again, holy shit. He's second in walks in major league baseball, only behind the king of the free pass, Juan Soto. This guy's turnaround has been insane. It's so funny, too, because, you know, when at least I think of Max Muncy and maybe other fans can relate, you think of a guy who walks up to the plate and doesn't swing the bat, is just always looking for the free pass. And... When I'm looking at Max Muncy, right, because I want to figure out, all right, what is he changing? Like, What's new about Max Muncy? What is he, you know, has he retooled anything? And his swing just generally looks better, but I would expect him to be swinging at more pitches, right? A guy who rarely takes the bat off his shoulders. Sometimes it looks like the bat is just a prop up there. But no, he's actually swinging at the least amount of balls within the zone, but he's making more contact than ever before. Right. And he's 
it's a it's a weird thing because I thought going into it that he would be swinging much more than he is, but he's actually swinging the least amount in his career. Yeah but making much more contact. So it's like he took all that training of never swinging and is now using it to his advantage of only swinging at the right pitches and doing incredible damage. And to your point, I don't think we expected him to be the home run leader or anything, but Max Muncy is still a really, really good player. And we at least expected him to bounce back in some sort of way. And it's just so awesome to see him completely do a 360 or 180, whatever the term is from last season. Yeah, I, I love the point you bring up there because Muncy, like he couldn't hit Jack last year and, and he knew that like he was very open and honest about that. Like it felt like a lost year for Muncy who played over 130 games. He just never got into a rhythm. He swung 38% of the time. So you would think that that number goes up when he feels better. Yeah. He's feeling great right now when the number's going down. Like that feels backwards, but it also feels great because he knows that he doesn't need to press to catch the 01 pitch. He can hit a pitch 02. He can hit a pitch 1 2. And he is gifted, unlike many guys in Major League Baseball, to the point where if he falls behind 0 1, I think he knows that he can work account full from there every single time he's at the plate, which is really cool. Really cool. Moving on to another Dodger. My first positive, and this is kind of a rookie report in a way. I mean, James Outman is a literal freak of nature. He is a freak of nature. James Outman himself has seven home runs. That's more than Aaron Judge as we sit here today with an 1,100 OPS. He's taken tons of walks. He's still striking out more than you'd like him to at, at around 30%. But the reason I love James Outman so much is that even if he doesn't produce offensively to this level, even though I think it'll be relatively close, he'll obviously settle down, but he provides value in so many other ways. I think right now, and the numbers would back this up, he is one of the best defensive outfielders in Major League Baseball. 95th percentile in outs above average. He's in the 92nd percentile in arm strength to boot. And then it's not just in the field. He's extremely fast. 91st percentile in sprint speed. So when he's starting to unlock this power and making consistent contact and consistent hard contact, he's in the 96th percentile in barrel rate. It clicks and it becomes one of the best players in Major League Baseball up to this point. Because when you're already a great defender, you already have all-world speed. You already have solid bat-to-ball skills and good plate discipline. And then when you start hitting the ball hard and in the air, you become an incredible player. And that's exactly what the 25-year-old from Sacramento State, the seventh rounder to the Los Angeles Dodgers is doing. They just spawn this guy out of nowhere. You know, an arm was making a good point because our, our guy Cam, he's a huge Dodger fan, and he rips on arm all the time for, you know, having James Outman around 80 in his top 100 prospects. I always say, Cam, look at other publications. He wasn't on there at all. This yeah. was kind of out of nowhere, and he's putting it together. And do I think he's going to put up an 1,100 OPS this year and hit 319? No. But at the same time, expected numbers think that he keeps this up yeah not to that level but like a 283 expected batting average right a 592 expected slugging like there are guys who i'm going to talk about in a little bit 
who are off to great starts and the expected stats are like, whoa, yeah, they're doing great right now, but they're way overperforming. That's not the case with Outman right now. And it's awesome. Yeah. I Outman is tooled up and, and we've talked about that before on the just baseball show. We've talked about that a lot over the last couple of years, honestly, on the call up as well, our prospect podcast, and we're working our way through our top 100. I think that a lot of prospect people knew that a, a 15 game flash of the pan was possible like this for Outman because you saw it at several levels. You saw it in high A in 21. You saw it in double and triple last year. So you were thinking, okay, you know, this guy is older than most at every level that he's at. Uh, he he might be aged out of the prospect based on where he is, but there's no denying the power. There's no denying the speed. There's no denying the defense. What we have seen is a guy that is not phased by major league pitching and a guy that has maximized every single tool he has through his first 26 major league games. I'm going to count his four game cameo last year because that guy was a freak his way across four games and then they optioned him. James Outman in 26 career major league games at this point has a 211 WRC plus and is a two win player. He's got 1.9 war in 26 games. That's an insane number. You're looking at a tenth of a win pretty much every time he steps on the field for nine innings. You know, like the math doesn't entirely add up. That would be 20 games and he's got a two war. Um, But 26 games, a 1.9 F war. This guy's positively impacted every single game he's been an L.A. Dodger for, which is insane. That's the point. It's not just offensively. Like, it's flashy, right? He's got seven bombs hitting 320. It's all great. But I think the real story of James Outman is how well-rounded he is. He's such a great defender. He's so fast. He's got a bazooka for an arm. That's the point. And that's why I see continued success for a guy where even when he goes through slow stretches offensively, he's still going to prove to be valuable. Now, I'd like to move on to my next stage of the rookie report. So I brought you the best rookie so far. Yes. Now I'm going to bring you the worst rookie so far. And it rhymes with so far. And his name is Ezekiel Tovar of the Colorado Rockies. That was a bar. That was a bar. He has been dreadful. Um, 497 OPS sitting like 180 it's not hitting the ball hard at all he's playing solid ish defense and a lot of his production albeit not that much has all come at Coors Field 613 OPS at Coors Field 347 on the road but this is why I wanted to bring him to you because it is so early and he's 21 years old and Aram brought him up as kind of a dark horse rookie of the year due to the fact that he was going to get an incredible amount of playing time due to the fact that he's playing in Coors Field and the numbers will pile up. And I could see it happening later on in the season. But the reason I bring him to you, Jack, is the Rockies have a history of not knowing what the fuck they're doing, and it's proving this season. Do you think they called up Tovar too early due to the injury of Brendan Rodgers, or do you think this is just a slow start, nothing to worry about? Because I've watched him play, and the numbers, he just does not look ready at the plate at all. Yeah, so Tovar came up at the end of last year, and I think even if Brendan Rodgers was entirely healthy, the shortstop job was Ezekiel Tovar's. Like, Rodgers was just going to play second base, and Tovar is the shortstop of the future. You know, that, that started on opening day 2023. So... 
I, I don't think that it was too early to call Tovar up. I, I think the, the real problem that Bill Schmidt and the Rockies are going to run into right now is how long do you let him suffer like this before sending him to Albuquerque? This feels like a very similar situation to the first couple of cameos of Jared Kelnick. And Kelnick obviously hitting the crap out of the ball right now, for sure. Like, good on Kelnick, but it took two years for Kelnick to figure it out. Kelnick would suck in Seattle. He would go to Tacoma and rake. Then he would suck in Seattle. Then he would go to Tacoma and rake again. I don't think that's going to be Tovar's problem, but this is your golden ticket guy. This is your top prospect in this organization. It's, you know, honestly, like a better example would be Spencer Torkelson, right? Opening day, starting future of the franchise, stinks. When do you pull the plug on that season? Yeah. For the Tigers, it was in like August, right? It was in early August. Do, can the Rockies wait that long? Like he's pumping out a 15 WRC plus right now. Worst in baseball. Like terrible. And like Torkelson, Torkelson wasn't hitting the ball to the ballpark. That's a problem. But like Trent Grisham was worse. Like early Bellinger last year was worse. He wasn't the worst hitter in baseball. Ezekiel Tovar through the first three weeks of the season is the worst hitter in baseball. And like kind of by far. Like if yeah. you look at next best, it's like 28 WRC plus. Like it is, it is real, real bad. So that's why I just wanted to bring him up because he's 21. I mean, yeah. what am I going to say? It's so early, but which makes when you're the worst, I want to bring it up, right? Right. Which makes me think that they may be quicker to option him to Albuquerque. And like the Rockies are in a dreadful spot right now. They've been terrible over the last three weeks. They started somewhat hot, but I mean, after that, they've been like not A's level, but like they've been brutal. Yeah. So you think, all right, you know, this team's not trying to win anything right now. Obviously, do you just, you know, send Tovar down, let him get into a rhythm and, and bring him back up? That's a question that I want to reserve for Bill Schmidt to answer, but um, I would say, like, don't blow it up on Tovar. Like, they didn't make a mistake having him be the opening day shortstop, but they may need to reassess for the immediate future. He's still the long-term guy. Like, Seattle didn't give up on Kelnick after the first audition. Hell, they didn't give up on him after the third audition. You give Tovar enough time. Again, he's 21 years old. Yeah. I don't think they're giving up, but I, I do think maybe you need to change his scenery. I think that's entirely possible, and I think it's probable at some point. Like, he's got to really turn it around to be a major league average hitter. It's saying a lot right now. Yes. Um, all right. Let's jump to my next one. It's in the AL West. The Astros second base production has been fine. And Mauricio Dubon has been, like, dare I say, kind of good. I'm not sure if David Hensley has been like such a liability in his four starts at second that it just tanks their overall like war and WRC plus numbers because they're like 18th in baseball in terms of second base production. But Dubon has pretty much been the full-time second baseman and he's been good. Like I know the WRC plus won't love him because he doesn't walk and he's not hitting for extra bases, but this guy's got 24 hits in 17 games. He's hitting 333. Granted, 20 of his 24 hits have been singles, but... He's ripping out a 108 WRC plus. He's got a 5% K rate right now. And the war numbers are different. He's got a 0.4 F war. He's already got one war in terms of B war, which like, I don't know that exact calculation, but Defense that tells me stuff. 
yeah. the way like baseball reference um calculates it versus fan graphs it's trivial i don't know <laughs> right so like it's it's rocket science for me all i know is both publications both versions of war value mauricio dubon as a good player to this point in the season for the astros to grab a, a not a journeyman because like he was a piece in san francisco and and houston knew they were getting a, a good bench utility guy for a utility guy to plug in for jose altuve and not suck and hit leadoff for them in atlanta this past weekend the Astros are just an embarrassment of riches, man. They are such an embarrassment of riches. They uh, just took two of three from the Toronto Blue Jays. Then they swept the Braves in Atlanta by a combined score of 36 to 17. And I was listening to the broadcast because I was watching. I watched every single Astros Braves game because not only was I betting on it, but it's just a fascinating series. And I think you you still give the Astros maybe the best team in the American League. I'm going to talk about the Rays in a little bit, but it's still the Astros. You know, they're still without Altuve. They're still without Michael Brantley. And then you have the Atlanta Braves, who I do genuinely think is the best team in the National League. Yeah. And what they were talking about about Dubon was Dubon put on a lot of weight, right? Altuve goes down, and you're going to be the starting second baseman. Like, you are our guy. And he really took that to heart, and he's gained weight over the offseason. Like I said, they were talking about the shakes that he was drinking consistently, how much he hates them, but how much he needed to put on weight and up those exit velocities. And he's done that in droves. And while it's it's singles for now, that can still be valuable, right? All Mauricio Dubon needs to do when he's leading off, just get on for Jordan, yeah. who's the leader in win probability added, who's the leader in the clutch stat on fan graphs. Doesn't get much better than Jordan. Alex Bregman. Abreu's been kind of abysmal, but, you know, who hasn't been is Kyle Tucker. So right. all Dubon, his job is to get on base and hit and that single, right? And then you just steal the base. That's like, that's what he's being paid to do. And I think, and what they brought up on the broadcast, I thought was fascinating. You know, Chaz is out. Chaz McCormick. Jake Myers is a, he's been, a fourth he's outfielder. Been, yeah, he's he's been, been fine, he's, but he's a fourth outfielder. Do you move Dubon to center when Altuve comes back? I thought that was an interesting conversation because, of course, Chaz is a good player. But if Dubon is doing this, like right now, Dubon is better than Chaz, or at least the production, it seems like to me. So I thought it was an interesting point because it's hard to take Dubon's bat out of the lineup when Altuve comes back. You don't really want to put him as, you know, just like this utility guy anymore because you look around the infield and like, Bregman, Pena, and Abreu, and Altuve, they're playing every day. Yeah. So there's not really room for him to play. Maybe center field is in his future. I don't know. He's just, he's an interesting player, and he's off to a really good start, and he's doing exactly what the Astros wanted him to do. Chaz is a back thing, I think, right? It's a lower back thing. Something. Um, I, I couldn't tell you. So, like, if, if his power is sapped when he does come back, that takes a lot of the appeal of Chaz McCormick out. He's a really good defender, but Chaz is get on base and, and impact the ball enough to pump out like a 115 WRC plus. So like, Even that's depend a lot. yeah. So like d depends what you need, right? If you need a leadoff guy and, and Altuve, assuming full health, Altuve is like a table setter, right? He, he's going to get on base. Like he's giving you what Dubon's giving you right now. And, and Dubon, he's hitting for a high average. He's hitting 333, but he's got like a 345 OBP. He's not walking. He, he's singling enough. So what he's doing right now is incredibly volatile. 
like it could go away with the snap of a finger and we're like, oh shit, they need Altuve back bad. But if it doesn't and Chaz doesn't look fully healthy, then I think you start to have that Dubon or Chaz conversation. And the thing is, that will be the conversation. It won't be like, oh, we can play both. I don't know how you play both, right? Because if Brantley then comes back too, it's either Jordan or Brantley in left field. And then it's Kyle Tucker in right field. And then you still have Jake Myers. You still have Chaz. And then you still have Mauricio Dubon. It creates this incredible bench. And I'm not saying for them to trade anyone, but that conversation will have to come up at some point because they're about to get back the number one hitter in their lineup and what, the number two hitter in their lineup? No. I Brantley, you think Brantley's in the two hole for them when he comes Probably. back? Probably. He rakes still. I mean, why'd they get him at all? To be a bench bat? No, Brantley still no. hits. But like maybe a six hitting DH, like a six or seven hitting DH. Regardless of where he hits in the lineup, the point is that DH. he's going to be in the lineup, right? Because then Jordan moves out to left, or if Jordan's DHing, then he plays left. I'm just saying those positions are going to be blocked soon. So then I, you really have to make the decision. Yeah, I I loved watching. Uh, I was watching Big Inning. Big Inning is awesome. And then the it's recap best. rundown that they put together too on on MLB TV the next day. It's like. Pretty much like a, a condensed version of the condensed game. The condensed game is the best thing ever, but the condensed version of the condensed game that MLB TV puts out and like strings them all together. It's hey, here's yesterday of baseball in 45 minutes. Here you go. Like that's awesome. And, and the amount of you know, the amount of dialogue on on beginning and on MLB tonight and on broadcast too um, about hey, don't panic regarding the Houston Astros. Like a lot of the eventual World Series champions started off cold. Nobody's panicked about the Houston Astros. Like, it, that's a weird narrative that I, I don't know where it came from. Um, just because they started a couple games under 500 at this point doesn't mean that they're not going to be the class of the American League. I think I understand when, when you get blown out on Sunday night baseball early on in the season, I think it could be like, oh, maybe this isn't the same Astros. I'm not saying all like, if you're a diehard baseball fan, you weren't worried for a second, but I'm more talking about just the general public of watching baseball. Like you don't watch a game all week, but you turn on Sunday night baseball and you expect to see the Astros destroy the Rangers and they lose nine to one. That's going to, that's going to make some dialogue in the conversation. So yes, diehards, they understand the Astros are amazing, but I'm saying, greater good might say you know what maybe this isn't the same astros when it's the same astros it yeah, is man. i beauty of baseball it, the nfl is like very unique in that regard i guess you could throw soccer in there too but like the beauty of major league baseball and the nba is your team's gonna lay an egg like sometimes not just one like they're gonna lay multiple eggs on on a you know bi-weekly basis and, and you know you don't have to hit the panic button like long season personified in the Houston Astros. Mm -hmm. I got my next one. Yep. So I'm going to do multiple things here. I'm going to give some players their flowers and then slightly tear them down. Okay. So I was going through the hits leaders, right? Um, You have Luis Arise at the top. You have Matt Chapman. You have Bo Bichette. You have... Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and then you have two Phillies who are off to really incredible starts. Bryson Stott is in like 380. Brandon Marsh, you say to yourself, is leading the league in slugging. So first, I really want to give them their flowers because they have been amazing up to this point. 
four bombs for Marsh. And then you're looking at Stott and he's got two home runs, but he's got a couple of bags. Both are hitting over 340. And Brandon Marsh is hitting 364 and slugging 758. They have really kept this Phillies offense afloat because Nick Castellanos is in and out. Schwarber has not been any good. Trey Turner just hit his first home run. They really need Harper back, and the loss of Reese Hoskins is showing. But these two guys, especially with Bryson Stott at the top of the lineup and Brandon Marsh hitting fifth at some points, these guys have been incredible. And Mark DeRosa was breaking it down on MLB Network, and I thought it was a really good segment by him where he gave Bryson Stott kind of not a nickname, but this is how he described him, that he has a slow heartbeat. And I thought it was a great way to describe him because I felt the same thing watching him in the World Series. He put up really good at bats, just didn't look like the pressure was too much for him. Now, Marsh didn't really show up in the playoffs, but he was still a great glove out there, and he did his job when needed to. So I came away thinking, these are two pretty solid players, right? Stott, Marsh, these are guys who you want in your lineup every day. Phillies can hang their hat on and say, these are two young guys who I think will really contribute. And they have way more than expectations. But now here's where I slightly tear them down. I still think they're good players. But both of them are sporting BABIPs, which is batting average on balls in play. Way over normal. Right, 500 BABIP for Brandon Marsh. Leads baseball by a ton. And you know who's third? Bryson Stott. So the reason I'm saying this is because I looked at the batting average leaders. I looked at the hit leaders, and I'm like, all right, Luis Arise could legit hit 370 this year. Vladdy and Bichette are just special, special hitters. And nobody's hitting the ball harder than Matt Chapman. And then there's these two guys. And I get questions from Phillies fans all the time. Like, what do you think about Stott? What do you think about Marsh? And here's what I think. Enjoy this while it lasts. Because I'm not going to go through every single expected stat. But what I will say is all of them say that these guys are going to fall to earth. Now, I think that's expected. And that's why I don't want to really tear them down. I was just surprised how much the expected stats hate them. Like a 240 expected batting average for Stott. Yeah. 260 for Marsh compared to like 360, 340. Like you don't see that all that often. So the point of this is Stott, Marsh, still young, still very good. I just can't expect this from them all season long compared to the other guys that are in this same range. That was my point of this discussion and totally fair um the phillies while they got off to that slow start or heating up a little bit it was really nice that they were able to host colorado this past weekend um you know i i think as those guys start to taper off and fall back to where we think they are the other stars are going to start to ascend right so like exactly schwarber's going to go nuts yeah jt's going to play first dude harper's going to be back yeah that's why the phillies are a tough team to gauge because they're off to a really slow start over the entire season they're heating up a little bit but it's like i'm gonna talk about some pitchers that are really struggling like aaron nola guy's really struggling you expect him to be much better but then there's some guys who are just playing on their playing way over their heads So it's just a balance and it's all going to come together and you're going to get a team in playoff contention, I think. 
Yes. So, um, you know, Zach Wheeler was a guy that Arm and I talked about last week on one of the episodes. And I said, I can't get a read on him. And he looked awesome through the front three innings. And then all of a sudden he loads the bases and hits a guy like it. it it's so weird because I cannot for the life of me figure out what Zach Wheeler is going to do. Um, I can't figure out for the life of me what some of these stars are going to do. And I can't even start to guess what a final slash line for Marsh and Stott is going to look like. All I'm saying is I go on BetMGM. Again, use promo code just baseball, all caps, no spaces, just baseball. Um, for uh, what's the exact language? No, it's, it's you, it's use code JB fans, JB fans, uh, because they have a promo going right now. Because if you use code just baseball, that's something that you should use if there isn't a promo, but this is when you should really take advantage because if you wager ten dollars on any MLB money line you will get $100 in bonus bets. Just baseball, they'll match your deposit match, but you want to get just, like if you put $10, you get 100 If you deposit 100 using code Just Baseball, you get 100 So use this promo. It's an absolute no-brainer just to get some free money in your betting account to bet on your favorite team throughout the year so you don't have to worry about using your actual money. Might as well use the free money that they gave you. So the code is JBFANS on BetMGM for all the new users. That link is in the episode description. Love it. Love it. Okay. So use JB fans for a straight up money line bet. Um, but if you are looking at a future on BetMGM, I, I'm looking at the NL East odds right now. And obviously Atlanta is really good. Uh, yada, yada, yada. The Mets, you know, the Mets are loaded, everything like that. The Braves are minus 250 to win the NL East right now on BetMGM. The Mets are plus 225. The Phillies are plus 1200 to win the NL East. With how bad some of their top-end talent's been, 1,200 is kind of an interesting line there. There's definitely value on them, considering their slow start and that a lot of these guys will get better. But if they weren't in a division with the Braves, right? You'd say yes. Like in a hard say yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I think they're going to compete. I think they have an outside shot of making the playoffs still. Yeah. How can you not? They're very talented. They don't even have Ranger Suarez pitching at all or Andrew Painter. They're going to be better. Right. But when you have the Braves, and I'm also biased, I have one of my preseason bets is for the Braves to win the National League East at plus 125. Yeah. So I'm still slightly biased there, but I just, I can't see the Braves losing this division. They're too damn good. Like even after losing that series against the Astros, they didn't even show up and they kept it close. Like they're, they're so damn good. I think they're the best team in baseball. Really, I do. And I, I'm with you. All I'm saying is like shit can hit the fan quick. You know what I mean? Like Sam Hilliard's playing. He's in the six hole for them. Like I know, but they're still winning and they don't have Michael Harris. They don't have Rossi Iglesias. They don't have Colin McHugh. They don't have Orlando Arcia. I mean, they, they didn't have Freed in for a Gr- yeah, yeah, they didn't have Freed for a minute. They didn't have Kyle Wright for a minute. Like Inter sucks right now. Like Inter's it's- been bad and they're still like, that's why it's like even shit's hitting the fan right now for them. This is what it looks like. Shit hitting the fed for the Braves and they're like 14 and eight. Right. Like, yeah. So cool. I don't shout yeah. out the Braves. So it has nothing to do with the Phillies. It has everything to do with the Braves. Like I wouldn't bet on the Mets either. Yeah. It's, just, it's the Braves division. They're gotcha. the best. All right. Uh, you, you mentioned the Blue Jay bats. That takes me to my next surprise. Vladdy and Bo are off to great starts. That's not surprising. Neither of them has been the best Blue Jay bat, which is surprising to me. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is hitting 346. Bo Bichette's hitting 344. Matt Chapman's at 360. OPS, Vladdy at 950. Bo at 912. Chapman at 1115. WRC Plus, 
Vladdy at 172, Bo at 158. These are like MVP caliber WRC pluses. Chapman at 211. And then you look at war. Vladdy almost has one war already. He's at 0.8, Bo at 0.9, Chapman at 1.3. Not only has Chapman been the best one, he's been like by far the best one. And he's playing with the best versions of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette. So it's just mind-boggling to me how stupidly good Matt Chapman has been in a contract year. Contract year. He wants to get paid. I'm so fascinated to see what kind of contract he gets. That's my biggest takeaway from all this. What do you pay him? Right? I think he's on the right side of 30 by the end of this year, right? Is he 29 or 30? I'll tell you right now. But you mentioned a guy who, and we know all about Vladdy. I mean, he's just a freak of all freaks. He could hit 40, 50 bombs in a season. He turns 30 this week. 30 this week. Okay, so we will happy be 30. Happy early birthday, Matt Chapman. Happy early birth- birthday, Matt Chapman. <laughs> Can we talk about this man, Bob Shet, for a second? Because I have I've stood my ground, and it's not like it's a hot take, but I've just always been way higher on him than I think a lot of people are because I just think his bat is special. Like, I think it's an MVP level bat and he's hitting the ball the opposite way so well. He's hitting everything hard. There's no real holes in his swing, even though his swing is very unique. And sometimes he has to be on time, but he's not striking out. He's cut his K rate almost in half from last year. I mean, this guy just sprays the ball all over the field, and he doesn't even try and hit home runs, but he just runs into them, right? He's already got four, and he's probably going to hit 25 to 30 this year. If he could become even a slightly above-average shortstop, I think he's in the running, or slightly above-average defensively at short. I think he's in the discussion for the best shortstop in baseball, and he's 25 years old. Like, it seems like he's 28. He's still just 25. Like him and Jeremy Pena are the same age. I just think this guy is special, 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 special. Yes, he is. um, I think he's a name that a lot of people like because his game is so good for fantasy baseball. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously he was experiencing some defensive liability months (laughs) like in his first couple of years. He's been solid defensively. And think about how much that skyrockets his value. Right. If this guy's a good defender, it's game over because everything you want from from a fantasy baseball perspective, batting average, homers, RBIs, stolen bases, he gives you all of that. So this guy is traditionally speaking, somebody that's going to accumulate offensive numbers that make you say this is one of the best players in baseball. The problem that, you know, the the analytics crowd and, and you know, the baseball crowd had with Bichette was he really stunk at points defensively. Now like that he, terrible. Yes. I mean, terrible. Like the throwing errors, the bouncing off the glove. It's just, that's what separates him from the tippity tops of the shortstops, the, the Turners, the Correas, the Seegers. Like, and, and now that it looks like he's making marginal improvements there, it might be game over. And I think the point I wanted to bring is, he might end up being so good defensively that he's just in that conversation whether the glove is good or not. And I think that's how special the bat is, is that it's such an all-world bat that sometimes it's like, all right, whatever you give us, you give us. But then if he becomes an average defender, an above-average defender, we're talking about him as the best shortstop in baseball because I don't know what other shortstop can hit like him when he's hitting like this, right? Like you look at Trey Turner – 
He can do it, but he hasn't done it so far this year. Correa can do it, but I don't even know if he has the offensive upside of Bo Bichette. Corey Seager so, can do it, but he just gets injured all the time. Right. So he doesn't are- play shortstop anymore. Wanders on that path, but you know, not fully there yet. That, that's the other name that I was going to throw out here because Wander is a better defender than Bo Bichette is. Oh, and there's Wander's are... a great defender. That's yeah, he's, he's a great defender. <laughs> so, like, there are three shortstops right now with a WRC plus over 150, three weeks into the season. Xander Bogarts leads with a 170. Bichette's got a 158. Uh, Wander has a 154. After that, you go to Willie Adamas at 133, then Dansby, Edmund, Francisco Lindor. Lindor is always going to be the war accumulator, right? Because he's like, an elite defensive player that is always going to be around a 120 to 130 WRC plus. Bouchette is always going to be near the top of the leaderboard. How much is the defense going to hamper him? I, I think that the only guy that can hold a candle to him offensively that is a serviceable defender is Wander Franco. Because Bogarts, like, Bogarts has been good so far. He got better as a defensive shortstop last year. That's why he got this massive contract. And I think that we do have to put a lot of respect on Xander Bogart's name. Um, but, you know, in terms of looking at the long haul, like Bogart's is already on the other side of 30. You know what I mean? So that's what I'm saying. I, I think when we're talking about best young shortstops in the game, I side with Wander, but I see your point on Bo Bichette. Yeah, like they're if Bichette can be an average defender, that's what I'm saying. It's not there yet, right? Yeah. It's still not there. Has he made slight improvements? Yes, but it's still not there yet. So I'm just sitting here as the Bobachet truther, just waiting on it because it's coming because he is so athletic. And, and I think it's soon. Yeah. It honestly just seems like a focus thing. Like, why are they all throwing errors? No, like, I mean, I mean, now that Bogarts <laughs> is now that Bogarts is out of the American League, like when he starts it short for the American League this year in July, you can take a victory lap because I think he will. I hope so. So because I love right. them. You're through three, right? I'm through three. So we got our negative and our positive to wrap. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, here's my negative, man. I didn't think a major league baseball team could be as bad as the Oakland A's are right now. And, and honestly, it's surprising. Everybody looked at the roster and said, Oh my God, this is the worst team alive. It's baseball. Like the the tried and true thing about baseball is even the shittiest teams are gonna win 60 games a year. This team isn't going to, man. Like, if we see a team with the win total in the 40s, it's probably the 2023 Oakland A's. They started 2-3. and three. Since then, they have gone 2-15 and 15 with losses 11-0 on back-to-back days, a 17-6 loss at home, a 9-run loss at home, a 10-run loss at home, and a 15-run loss on Saturday in Texas. There are two pitching staffs in Major League Baseball with a negative F4 at this point. The Detroit Tigers pitching staff, their collective F4 is at negative 0.2. Oakland's at negative 2.7. This staff has thrown 193 innings as of end of play on Sunday. 21 and two-thirds of the 193 innings have come from guys with ERA pluses over 100. Mason Miller in his Major League debut, Zach Jackson, and Chad Smith in the bullpen. And here's the shittiest one. Shintaro Fujinami is the ultimate fade machine for you right now, right? His ERA is at 14. Yeah, that's not ideal. Fuji has a 7-3-6 FIP, fielding independent pitching. You'd think that's terrible, and it is. It's terrible. It's the third worst FIP in the Oakland A's rotation. 
Ken they Walton. They have five guys. <laughs> they have five guys. Fujinami is in the middle when it comes to FIP. Ken Waldachuk <laughs> is at 796. James Caprellian has an 845 FIP. It's not ideal. This team is garbage. Like no effort. And like you you think, okay, they're major league baseball players. You know, Brent Rooker's run into some balls. Estario Ruiz looks decent. But like they can't pitch at no. all. They're running yeah. out double-A caliber pitchers. It's not a major league roster. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And it's not even just about the pitching. It's not even just about the hitting. How about Alexis the other Diaz facet like of awful? Yes. How about the other facet of the game? Defense. They are by far the worst team defensively in Major League Baseball. I don't know if you've seen Ramon Laureano play right field. He went from one of the premier defensive center fielders to a dog shit right fielder. They have negative 23 defensive runs saved. Next best, or excuse me, next worst is negative 12. They are twice as worse defensively as any team in baseball. Actually, they're twice as worse as the second worst team defensively. They have a they have a team ERA close to nine. The Red Sox are second to worst in terms of starters at six six four. It is not a major league roster, and I feel so bad for A's fans. Because I know there's tons out there. And yeah, they don't show up to games right now. Would you? Would you go see this? Would you spend the money? Would you sit in traffic to bring your kids to an A's game right now to watch them lose 13-2? to No. Mason Miller made his major league debut, threw into the fifth. Weren't they leading? At the time, I think he got the no decision. They lost by 10. Yeah, their bullpen is otherworldly terrible. And it was pitching. They were okay at the beginning, like the first six games. And I even wrote in a write-up. And I was like, they have a couple arms there who aren't that bad. That point is null and void now. dude. Like they have some guys who can get you through one inning occasionally. Yeah. and But that's saying a lot. All right, let's move to the best team in baseball right now. The Tampa Wait, no. Bay Rays. No, you got to do your negative. No, well, I uh, we accidentally skipped me because you did uh, Chapman and then we did kind of Bo Bichette. I actually have a couple more. Oh, okay, gotcha. But yeah, um, the Rays are 19-3. and three. They haven't lost at home. 13-0 and 0 at home. And at home, they're outscoring their opponents. 90 to 30. 90 to 30. They're number one in batting average. They're number one in on-base percentage. They're number one in slugging. They're number one in home runs. They're number one in war offensively. They have the number one starter ERA. They're striking out the most batters in baseball. They might have one of the best closers in baseball right now in Pete Fairbanks and maybe the best setup man in Jason Adam. They throw out openers. They throw out guys they've never heard of, like Colin Fache, Fosher. I don't even know. Alvin Foucher? Calvin Foucher. Colin Criswell. Sliders. No one can touch them. 
they're amazing. They are, they're a perfect baseball team. Yandy Diaz hit 300 last year, 142 WRC plus, and it looked like the most fake WRC plus thing ever because he hit nine home runs. And it's like, yeah, the dude walks so much. Is he really that good? Yep. Yep. Slogging 600. One of the best hitters in baseball right now. Randy Rosarina. What he was doing in the World Baseball Classic, he's still doing. Wander Franco is one of the best shortstops in Major League Baseball. Brandon Lau, one of the best second basemen in Major League Baseball. Josh Lowe is finally coming into his own. Harold Ramirez, Christian Bethencourt. It doesn't stop. Isak Paredes. I could just keep going of guys who you've barely ever heard of yeah. that hit 300. Yeah. They don't stop. Jeffrey Springs went down with Tommy John. They're bringing up Taj Bradley, who in terms of stuff plus, created by Eno Saris, one of the great newer stats. It's not actually new. It's been out there for about five years, but it's the first year we have it on fan graphs. Yeah. He's top 10 in it. Garrett Cole's nine. Taj Bradley is 10. They can do whatever they want. And if Shane McClanahan, he's an ace. Drew Rasmussen looks like an ace. Tyler Glasgow's not even back yet. This yeah. team is just incredible. They're just incredible. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, they're they're perfect. What, they've homered in all 22 games? Since they're perfect. I mean, this is a perfect team right now. It like, doesn't get better. Pitching, bullpen, defense, offense, it doesn't get better. No, there was um, there was a great breakdown that Xavier Scruggs did on Brandon Lau. Um, yep. I, I retweeted it. I'll, I'll push that again. But Scruggs walked through how good Lau is and, like, why he's so good. And obviously you look at, hey, 39 homers in 2021, and, and you look at – what he's doing so far, OPSing over a thousand. Lau has been the best second baseman in baseball uh, so far this year. Lau is one of the smarter hitters that we've got in the game. And I, I think his walk-off home run on Saturday is perfectly indicative of that. Like that guy just outsmarted Reynaldo Lopez in that at bat, and, and he won. Like flat out beat him and guided the Rays to a win. So Eflin comes off the shelf, right? Like his back looks fine. He shoves against the White Sox. This this team is at this point flawless. And I I looked up the pronunciation, Fauche. Like Fauche opens a game and he's great. Calvin Fauche. Yeah. Cooper yeah. Criswell out of nowhere. Like Yeah, I said Colin. It's Cooper. Like I don't even know. That's and I thing. watch these guys and I forget because they all look the same. They're all these turbo slider fastball guys with crazy arm angles. And I'm like, you're all just clones out of a lab. I don't even know who you are and you're dominating. Right. So so Kevin Kelly was a rule five guy and Tampa traded for him from Colorado. Kelly was picked up by Colorado in the rule five from Cleveland. I saw Kevin Kelly at a couple stops. Cape in 2018, short season in 19, high A in 21, triple in 22. Like I, Kevin Kelly's just always been a bullpen guy for whichever guardian affiliate that I saw. And Kelly comes from like a really weird spot. Like he's right behind his arm and he slingshots. Perfect for a sweeper. Although nobody knew what a sweeper was before this year. The Rays had an idea. So then all of a sudden I'm on Twitter on Friday or Saturday and I see pitching ninja, pitching ninja clip a Kevin Kelly sweeper. And that thing just frisbees across the zone. I mean, these guys like Tampa is so good at IDing 
these dudes like Kelly was a sixth inning guy for the Columbus Clippers last year. And now he's on pitching ninja shout out the Tampa Bay Rays, man. Like their ability to identify and acquire talent that nobody else identifies and acquires is second to none. Second to none, because it's one thing to be the Dodgers where you have all the money in the world. And you know, the Astros are right there with the Rays in terms of development and they have spawn guys, but I almost like, the Rays are so good at developing. I think the Astros are so good at identifying failed major leaguers and then bringing them in and showing them something new. Like you look at, you know, Ryan Stanek, Rafael Montero, Hector Neris in their pen, you know, and they have they have many others. But the Rays, it's like they'll they grab guys from the minor leagues. Yeah. And then they bring them up through their system. And it's just gross like they don't have any money and they just do it like that's what's so impressive about them is they are working on an incredibly low payroll and they just spawn these teams that they're so tough to beat and i think this is the best version i think it's all coming together this year and we're finally seeing it not finally because they've been doing it but we've never seen them this good yeah it's really cool all right give me your negative um and then we'll salvage with a couple of positives the White Sox have the eighth worst starter ERA and the third worst bullpen ERA in all of baseball, resulting in the second worst overall ERA to the Oakland Athletics. And the Chicago White Sox are second at 547. I want to ask you because when you look at X Woba, Right, it's your quality of contact against for pitchers. It's a bunch of relievers, and this is the worst ex woba. So people giving up the hardest contact humanly possible. It's a bunch of relievers in the top ten, and there's one starting pitcher, and his name is Michael Kopech. You look at starter ERA. Who are the worst starters in Major League Baseball? And there's a lot of the names that you're used to. I'm not used to Lance Lynn being there. No. Lucas Giolito, again, a rough start. Dylan Cease has looked good, not Cy Young Dylan Cease. What's going on, dude? I don't know. Don't know, don't care at this point. Come on. No, I mean, like, listen, Kopech, I thought, was back in spring training. He missed the first couple weeks of spring training. He comes back, and he's sitting 97, 98, and he looks awesome in his first spring training start at Camelback. And I was like, okay. Great. You know, Kopech looks awesome. We need Kopech to be to be a three because um, I thought it was going to be Cease, Lynn, Kopech. Um, I, I think the the verdict was in on Giolito, and that's like that's not a guy that the White Sox need to have on the roster after this year. Um, now, Giolito in his four and a half looks decent like that. That's yeah, he's your second best starter. That's an appealing start. I mean, Clevenger is, but like, I don't I don't watch that guy like I don't. And he also him. like he'll, he'll throw five shot and then give up seven or like he's not someone you rely on either. So, yeah, Clevenger, 19 in the third, he's walked 11. He's punched out 15, but he's walked 11. So, like, he's so volatile, and he's going to blow up very soon. And, you know, from just the the baseball, like, from the non-baseball perspective, I hope that guy sucks for the yeah. White Sox, like, as a White Sox fan, whatever. But moving off that, Kopech in 20 and two-thirds innings has allowed eight home runs. What the hell? And I know that a lot of them came in spurts against San Francisco, but, like, this guy looks terrible. I'll admit when I have a blatantly wrong read on a guy and Michael Kopech spring training, I was blatantly wrong trying to read that guy. I'll, I'll wear that L I will 
a hop up on on the town square and just say like, yeah, I was a moron in regards to Michael Kopech because this guy is a miserable watch right now. And Lynn's a miserable watch too. 29 hits in 21 and a third innings. They're all fastballs. Like Bartolo was fun because he was short and stocky, but like it was all fastballs and somehow he was getting swings and misses. Guess what? That was the mid 2010s. Like that was 15 and 16 when we were watching Bartolo Colon. Might've been earlier. I don't know the exact dates, but like in the year of our Lord 2022 or 2023, you cannot throw four iterations of a fastball and expect to be successful in Major League Baseball. And that's what Lance Lynn's trying to do. There are 30 MLB teams. I have banned myself from gambling on two of them. Number one is the Yankees because I'm biased and I can't look at them objectively like I can every other team. Sure. I know that, so I just don't bet on games that include them. Better for my mental health. It's better for my record yeah. because I went one and six last year betting on the on Yankee games. So I decided, nope, not worth my time. And number two is the White Sox. It has nothing to do with bias. It has everything to do with not only one, the variance of this team. Because would you be surprised if Lance Lynn threw seven shutouts his next outing? Uh, at this if, point, I would. <laughs> I wouldn't. Like these guys, it's it's incredible how they sometimes show up and then sometimes look like the worst players on planet Earth. I think this is the most unwatchable team in Major League Baseball. Doesn't mean they're the worst. The A's are certainly worse. There's probably 10 to 15 teams that you could consider worse than the White Sox. But they're unwatchable, dude. Yeah. They I'm don't not. play defense. Their at bats are terrible. Like they'll run into home runs and like they'll win some games. But it's I nobody is fun to watch on that team. Like Luis Robert is. I mean, Slider's blown away and he's done. Yeah. Like, that ain't. Remember we were talking about him versus Buxton? That ain't Buxton. Like, Buxton's a freaking agent. Robert, it's like, I know how to get you out. It's just, can I, will I make a mistake and then you crush it? Yeah, but if if I, that's why, you know, I took his under, which is funny. I took Luis Robert's under eight fantasy score on a prize pick entry. He went 0 for 6 against the Rays. And the reason he goes 0 for 6 against the Rays, the reason he has a 400 OPS in his slider drop is because there's a game plan. There's a game plan for Luis Robert, and it's up to you if you can complete it. It's up and in with the fastball, slider's blown away, and he just sits his ass down. Eloy, just in and out of the IL. And like, yeah, he'll run into some home runs. He's good. But like Ben Attendee, what am I watching here? It's... It's unwatchable baseball, in my opinion. Doesn't mean they're the worst. And it's also just my opinion. The way I like to watch baseball and the way the White Sox play are the complete opposite. Yeah, I I hear you on that. Um, You know, it doesn't help that Tim Anderson and Moncada are on the IL right now. But But like Moncada, how good is he? Like Tim Anderson, obviously. Moncada can be good. Like that is the thing. You're right. Talented, but just... He's talented and he was off to a great start in nine games, but like he's on the IL. So we'll see what he looks like when he gets back. Tim Anderson, we'll see what he looks like when he gets back. He was fine. He was 730 OPS um, through what 11 games here. Um, What sucks is the most enjoyable part of this White Sox season has been Jake Berger. That was not on my bingo card. I don't think that was on anybody's bingo card. 
No, it's safe there. So I I see your list. You have kind of a negative one, right? Yeah. Okay. And then that's your last one. It's negative, but I don't believe in it. Yeah. So you do that one, and then I'll I'll end on the highest of high notes. Okay. So there's three starters who I've noticed who have been terrible, and they're elite starters. And I don't know what's wrong. It's kind of like your read with Zach Wheeler because it's not a drop off in stuff. Maybe they're missing spots. And I just wanted to highlight these three guys because they're three of the best pitchers in major league baseball. And if you told me they'd all have ERAs over four or five and two of them would have ERAs in the mid fives, I would think you're nuts, but that's what's happened up to this point. As we sit here on April 24th, Sandy Alcantara with the Marlins has been dreadful. Like overall, He had a great shutout, but other than that, it's multiple earned runs. He's got the lowest ground ball rate of his career, lowest strikeout rate of his career, and has led to a 5-ish ERA. Aaron Nola, another guy, huge strikeout guy, 200-plus Ks every year. Striking out like 7 per 9, highest walk rate of his career, which has led to like a mid-5s ERA. Corbin Burns, expecting him to bounce back against a Boston Red Sox team. Pitch okay, five innings, couple earned runs, five Ks, cutters down a little bit of velocity, does not look the same. And I just think to myself, well, no way this continues. But at the same time, I think to myself, well, why is it happening at all? Yeah. These are some of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball. What is going on with you three? So it's a negative, but I don't see it continuing at all. But I wanted to bring it up as three guys who just have sucked straight up. So stack them for me, like in terms of most confident that they will normalize to least confident that they will normalize. Because I go, it's pretty clear for me. I go Sandy Burns Nola. I go Burns Sandy Nola. Because Burns is just too damn nasty. And Burns has been the best of the three. Yeah. The reason I think, I still thought Sandy was the best pitcher in baseball going into this year, but... I was always in the back of my mind. I was a little bit worried about a high ground ball guy with this Marlins defense. Like, is the ERA going to be the same as it was in previous seasons with no shift, right? Because Nola doesn't walk anybody and he strikes at everybody. So does Burns. But Sandy's a different type of pitcher. So I was slightly worried. So you know what? I am going to say I'm the most worried about Sandy. Jeez. Because the ground ball rate is the lowest of all of them. And he's allowing a lot of hard contact, which is irregular from him. With Nola, I think he's just settling in. And the fact that Nola's going to be a free agent soon. So it's like, he's got to figure it out. And then Burns has kind of run into a little bit of bad luck. But the peripherals will say that Sandy is the most concerning. And considering we're splitting hairs, because all three are amazing, because I thought Sandy was going to be the best pitcher in baseball this year, I'm going to say now I'm the most concerned about him. Okay. I will respectfully disagree. That's fair. Because this guy in 24 innings, he threw 228 last year. But in 24 innings, he's allowed more contact in the air than he has on the ground. And that's not Sandy, which is interesting. Like, yes, you say the ball's getting hit harder, and it is. His 
average exit velo against is up two miles an hour from 87 to 89. So the ball is just getting hit harder. But opponent OPS last year was 590. This year it's 630 in the early going. So it's not like hitters are like good against him, right? They're just catching the right balls and sending them into the gaps. Um, his ground ball rate last year was 53%. His fly ball rate was 20%. This year so far, the ground ball rate's at 40%. The fly ball rate's at 28%. So if he becomes Sandy again, like his career average ground ball rates, 49%. He's pretty much 10% lower than that right now. If he gets back to his career average, I think this guy like normalizes. My point is there is more things that are concerning about Sandy than Nola or Burns. Yes. Like it's fair. the lack of strikeouts. It's he more walks. It's harder contact. It's like there's a lot more things piling on Sandy than it is with Nola, where it's like he's just not striking out the same guys. Like maybe his stuff just isn't quite there yet. Burns, it's very similar. But Sandy is the guy who relies on the defense more. And his stuff has ticked down a little bit. And he's still not striking anybody out. He's walking. There's just more things to worry about. So that's what makes me more worried about Sandy. But at the same time, why I said it's a negative that I don't believe in, I think all three will be totally fine. Yeah, they're all. I just wanted to bring them up. Like, we're 25 innings through. And it's not like they had one bad start. They've all had like four or five bad starts to start the year. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, and Sandy's pumping out what a five and a half right now, like five, three, five, four ERA. So, yeah, man, I mean, like concerning for all of them, but you just named three of the more talented pitchers in baseball. So exactly, they're probably bouncing back. All right. A- ending on the highest of highs, the Pittsburgh Pirates, more specifically, the Pittsburgh Pirates starting rotation, the Pirates and the Pirates pitching have been the two biggest surprises in baseball. The Pirates have the most wins in the National League. They have 16 wins under their belt. They've won seven in a row. They have the second most wins in all of baseball, only behind the Tampa Bay Rays. The Pittsburgh Pirates? Here's the thing, man. Like, quality starts have been the name of the game. And they were on, like, this crazy record. They've gotten a quality start in 12 of their last 13 games, including Vince Velasquez going seven shutout with two hits and 10 punch outs against the Reds on Sunday. Where the fuck did that come from? They're only on the under because I believe in Vince Velasquez. No, you don't. (laughs) I do. Vince Velasquez. I'll tell you something about Vince Velasquez for a second. Vince Velasquez has the second best stuff plus on his team. His fastball and slider both grayed out as above average pitches. And when he's in the zone, he can be tough to hit. I'm not saying I believe in Vince Velasquez as if he's like this strong three as he's shown thus far. But do I believe he's one of the worst pitchers in baseball like he's been? Absolutely not. Do I believe that those two pitches play? Do I believe that if he has the location, he can be good? Absolutely, I do. See, I was going the other way. I was going to say, like, punch me in the face bet that Vince Velasquez doesn't go seven shutout with 10 punch outs. Like, didn't think that was coming. I I tweeted this out. I said, this is 2023. Forget everything you thought you knew about Vince Velasquez. This guy. Because the Pirates have done this before, right? They sometimes grab these old wily veterans and, like, make them decent. Quintana last year. They've done it before. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> okay. Um, but like Velasquez, seven shutouts, two hits, 10 punch outs on Sunday. 
the only non-quality start in their last 13 games. Rich Hill on Saturday, five innings, one run. So this he just didn't go the inning to like need one. They've been that good. They're third in the National League in ERA. They've got a 3-8 starter ERA. Bullpen's been great. Starting rotation has been the jam. Pirates starters already this year in seven, 16 wins has 11 wins. The rotation has 11 wins. Last year, it was a major league record. They went like, I want to say close to like 30 or 40 games without registering a win in the starting rotation. Last year, the Pirates rotation had the fewest wins in baseball. The Pirates rotation had 21 wins last year. They're at 11 on April 23rd. Pirates starters in 2022 average four and two-thirds innings per game. Pirates starters so far this year have thrown more innings than any other team in Major League Baseball. And this is without the Brubes. Brubake. Yeah, but like Oviedo's been awesome. Oviedo's been awesome. Oviedo has been awesome. The command, he looks actually good. Rowancy looks actually good. My problem with Rowancy, and maybe you've seen this and I assume you have, against really good teams, he gets blown up. Against bad teams, he looks like Sion. So... Rowanzi, like the worry for me last year, because he was, you know, kind of bouncing back and forth, right? And like he shoved in AAA. I was like, this guy's an all star. And you see it against bad teams. Yeah. Um, I think when he got up, he was facing good teams. Like I think he started in Tampa last year. I vividly remember starting a game in Tampa that he was just nibbling like nobody. Like it felt like a young Dylan Cease. Like rookie Dylan Cease was nibbler. And that was what Rowanzi was doing last year. So I I only worry about the nibbling against good lineups because if this guy has confidence, his shit plays. I agree. And I think it shows up against these bad teams. It's like, you can't hit me. I'm going to throw it down your throat. And he when, does. When and then against the group, Astros and the Cardinals, his two worst starts, that's when he gets beat up because he's around the zone. Like, throw that slider, dude. It's nasty. But how about tread athlete of the year, Mitch Keller? Keller. Keller looks awesome, man. He actually looks fantastic. I added him on my fantasy team. He's ranked 10th among pitchers. Dude shoves. He looks great, man. I'm telling you, like, so Keller, I think everybody knew that the stuff was in there because you see those offseason videos. This feels super deep cutty, but when this guy, when Rowanzi Contreras is in a rhythm, there aren't very many more enjoyable guys to watch in baseball than Ron. Cause like it's hard shit and it's a hammer. I know I said super edgy, <laughs> super deep cut, but like super edgy. I've seen this guy thrive. Yeah. And I, I just don't think the national audience has seen him thrive. And when he thrives, that shit's gross. And I think what you mean too, it's, it's different watching like, you know, DeGrom is more entertaining but when you look at a 23-year-old doing this, there's a different perspective surrounding it, right? Like these young guys, when you see them just go crazy, it's much more exciting because you think about what could be. He's and a... with Rowanzi, you s- look to yourself and you say, if he has confidence, he can get anybody out at 23. He's 23 years old. He is six foot and like doesn't fill out the frame at all. And then the shit just jumps out of his hand. Jumps. Cool. Just don't nibble. Like, have confidence in your shit, Rossi. I know you don't listen to this podcast, but maybe someone you know does. Have confidence in your shit, bro. It works. And, and Throw it in the has. zone and dare them to hit it. And he has, which is why, you know, he's strung together a couple of good starts. Yeah. And, I mean, Oviedo, 24 innings. He's got a 2-2 ERA. Bednar's like, freaking He's awesome. the best pitcher of the division. 
He's so Oviedo. good. Oviedo's so good, man. And then you got Connor Joe kicking ass, which is my favorite thing ever. How about Carlos uh, Santana said he's in the best shape of his career, or at least in the last decade. I was listening to the Pirates broadcast. Oh, also the Pirates broadcast team. They are the most, they're in cloud nine right now. I yeah. love turning them on just to listen, just to hear them positively talk about the Pirates. Like, it is every day it's Christmas for them. And I'm so happy for those guys because you can tell they're just the most genuine, nice people, or at least that's how it comes off to be on the broadcast. And they are just, I mean, they're doing circles. They're so excited. And you can tell the fans are so excited. Even Ryan Miller is so excited in our chat. Like, this is a bonus year. Like, yeah. who knew McCutcheon was back? Who knew Carlos Santana looked like the old Carlos Santana? Who knew Jack Sawinski was going to hit a heater after starting terrible? Like we all knew that though. That Sawinski is that guy. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> no, right. Of course not. Like that's this is it's amazing. It's amazing yeah. what they're doing, and they're doing it without O'Neill Cruz. Yeah. Like they just won two zero. No Brian Reynolds. No O'Neill Cruz. Wild. Wild. It's shout awesome. Out, shout out G one Bay again. All right. Uh, those were the surprises. Uh, Aram and I back to talk to you guys tomorrow. But plug the merch. Just baseball hat. I'm rocking. Just baseball long sleeve. I'm also rocking. And you can rock them too. Get them in the episode description. It's the best way to support this podcast. Another great way to support without spending a dime is just if you could rate and review five stars on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Thank you guys all so much for listening. It is such a fun time even when my eye is a little bit hurt even when jack is bitching about the weather a little bit to come on here and talk baseball and the fact that just i know you and i have spoken about it too and we've even voiced it over twitter you know people tagging us and stuff the inside jokes that we have and the support on social media has just been incredible we thank you guys so much and again if you want to support the merch or rating five stars but just tagging us in twitter stuff you know all the little inside jokes the players we talk about that support enough makes our day really appreciate you guys all listening. And if you have that gambling itch, we are sponsored by BetMGM. use code JB fans. It's in the episode description. When you download BetMGM, you wager $10 on any money line bet and you will get $100 in bonus bets. We'll see you tomorrow. And thank you everybody.